So, welcome everybody. Old faces, new faces. I should say y all young faces. There's <laughs> 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 some I've seen before and some I haven't. Okay, I know you just did a meditation session, but I always like starting out a talk with just a few minutes of silence. So let's just come back to our breath again for a couple of minutes and then we'll have the talk. And let's come back to our motivation. I think that we want to listen and share together today so that we can really learn tools to look at ourselves, have a clearer understanding of ourselves, so that we can act with more compassion and in alignment with reality. And to do this for the benefit of 
all living beings because our whole life is dependent on the kindness of other living beings and we're completely interrelated with them. So it's only fair, it's only right that we consider their happiness and misery as we do our own and work to eliminate their misery and develop their happiness as we do our own. So with that kind of intention then, let's listen and discuss today. So I just came back from uh, having a month of teachings with one of my teachers on the very topic of today's discussion. So even though I heard, had four hours of teaching uh, for four weeks in a row, we barely scratched the topic. <laughs> so an hour talk is going to even do less than that. But it's an introduction that might give you something to think about how things work. Okay, so we're, you know, we're basing this series on Buddhism for beginners, which, by the way, they just um, reprinted with a different cover. So um, we have it. I brought, brought one back. Maybe you can take it out. If you, it's in the new library books, and we can put it out for people to see. So this, the chapter is about selflessness, and so that's talking about the nature of reality. So where do you start? <laughs> you know, in in regular life, people are uh, often saying, "I need to figure out who I am." You know, I need to figure out who I am. And it, and in one context, that makes sense. You know, who are we in terms of our conventional life and what we want to do and what are our values and principles and so on and so forth? We need to figure that out. But on another level, uh, in Buddhism, we're not trying to figure out who we are, but who we aren't. <laughs> the idea being that we have a lot, already have a lot of ideas about who we are. And considering that most of them are wrong, um, the more we find out who we aren't, the freer we are. Okay. So this gets into the whole topic of identity, which is what selflessness or emptiness is about is that a lot of the identities that we hold as real and concrete are not as real and concrete as they seem to our mind. They're things that have been made up or things that exist independence on other factors whereas we see them as independent entities in and of themselves. And I was thinking about this, um, considering that the Olympics uh, is going on, okay? And I must confess, last week when I was in Madison watching some of the Olympics, uh, and it was really fascinating for me. Uh, to me, I mean, I don't care who, who wins and who loses. That, that's not important. But I love watching their faces and looking how they interact with the people interact with each other and how they're thinking about this whole thing and the whole 
psychological, mental, motivational part of, of what they're doing. And it's so clear that, you know, everybody, you know, is looking at the Olympics. It's this solid thing, yeah, because the whole world knows about it. And a gold medal has this inherent value and worth. You know, everybody wants a gold medal. And Michael Phelps got 22 of them now. And if you have 22 gold medals, you've, you must be really good. You know, you're successful, you have everything everybody else wants, you're a fantastic person, nobody's ever going to criticize you, except maybe your teammate, what was his teammate's name that said he was Tyler, somebody who said he was going to... He was looking forward to beating Phelps, but he didn't. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, but everybody's looking like a gold medal winner. And then when Gabby um, Douglas, you know, got the, the female gymnastics, everybody's so excited. It's like, she's so wonderful. She has this fantastic personality. She's going to make millions of dollars. And, you know, everybody's all jazzed up. And I'm looking at this. And I'm thinking, you know, everybody's seeing this as so real and so solid. You know, even like when, what was the Russian gymnast's name who, who got silver be, right behind Gabby? Come on, some of you must have watched this. I'm the only one who watched <laughs> oh, That's not good. Oh, boy. <laughs> There was a Russian gymnast. What was her name? Oh, I can't. You were too busy rooting for the Americans, that's all. But there was one, you know, well, first of all, when they were going into the, um, trying to decide who was going into the finals, then the previous winner, Jordan Weiber, somebody, yeah, she didn't make the finals. She was in tears. Yeah, that was one thing. But then the Russian girl who was the, who got the silver, she was sobbing at the end of it. Totally sitting like this, sobbing, sobbing, that poor child, you know. And I was thinking, look at how emotional everybody is. Yeah, as if all of this were something that was real. But actually, the whole thing is just made up by our mind. Isn't it? We had the idea as human beings to have an Olympic tournament. It's all created by us. You know, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have athletes come together? We had that idea. It's only based on our idea. Then we had the thought, oh, well, let's have three, three top ones. We could have had four. We could have had two. We could have had ten. But we decided three. We gave them certain names, gold, silver, and bronze. We attach certain meaning to it, and then everybody adopts this meaning, and everybody thinks it's real, and everybody thinks it's important, and they train for years in their life to get, you know, some piece of metal that's this big. Not this and smile in front of the TV cameras. You know? Yeah, look, I have my medal. It's around my neck. Yeah? But we are, you know, people, 
get so, this is so important all these years of their life you know to get this piece of metal to get the words gold medal winner you know to stand on a platform that's like this much higher than everybody else you know and that all of that somehow makes you a good person yeah does it does it mean you're a happy person? Does it mean you're a good person? No. And, you know, so emotional. Oh, like this girl, she couldn't rejoice about getting a silver. She was just so upset because she didn't get gold. Yeah? And then the American men's gymnasts, they really kind of flopped. And I think one of the, one of the guys there, they were crying too. Yeah? And... You know, and so much importance. I'm a gymnast. I'm, you know, gold. I'm silver. I'm bronze. You didn't even make the semifinals. <laughs> you know, I didn't make the semifinals. You know, and it's all something that is completely made up by our mind. We're the ones who created the whole thing and assigned value to the whole thing. And aside from our coming together and making this up and assigning the value, it has absolutely no meaning. So what if you can run or swim faster than everybody else can? So what? Yeah, or so what? You can, you can jump longer than anybody else or do more somersaults. Or so what? You have a medal. Really, when you look at it. Yeah? like, well, that's nice, but so what? Yeah. And then my mother's question to me from when I was a little girl about, well, just who do you think you are, young lady? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, comes up again. Yeah, you have this paper, you have this piece of metal, you have so many pictures of you, or you're on the front page of Sports Illustrated, or whatever it is, and like, so what? Where's the real, inherent, truly existent meaning in all of that that makes you a good person? It's all created by our mind, isn't it? Don't you think? Completely created by our mind. We could have easily chosen instead of, you know, who, who can swim the fastest. It's like... Who can take the longest? <laughs> then I would get a medal. <laughs> yeah. You know, we could have made up a dozen other things to have competitions for. We could have thrown, as human beings, we could have thrown out the idea of competition altogether and say, why is a competition even important? What about having collaboration? There's so many other things we could have given meaning and purpose to that we didn't. And, you know, this is just something that we happen to do, and it's like, well, so, so what? Okay? So what I'm getting at here is that we create things that we think have meaning and value in and of themselves from their own side without realizing that we're the ones who gave them the meaning and value. That these things, instead of having value from, the, from their own side, they have value only because we gave them that value. Aside of that, 
they're completely empty of any kind of value. Hmm? They're dependent things. They're not independent from their own side. Even like money, you know, people get so jazzed about money. And do you know the most important thing about money is zeros. <laughs> yeah, because the most important thing is how many zeros you have at the end of your worth. Not what the front number is, it's how many zeros are after it. You can even have a nine, but if there's only one zero after it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but if you have a one, but you have nine zeros after it. So zero is the most important thing. Yeah. But even you have more, so much money, where, what makes that piece of paper valuable? Well, then you could go into this thing, well, we used to have the gold standard, and Nixon took us off, and, you know, the money used to have value, and now it doesn't. But even when we were on the gold standard, what was it that gave that piece of paper with ink in certain pat patterns value? Did it have value on its own side? No. It has value only because our minds give it value. Yeah. Aside from that, from its own side, money has absolutely no value. Yeah. It's hard for people to think about it. It's like, oh, but you know, money is going to determine if I'm successful or not. Huh? How does money determine if you're a successful human being? I don't get that. Does success mean you have a lot of zeros? <laughs> yeah. Does money mean that you're happy? I, I don't get how, how money equals success. Yeah. But for the people who feel like that, they, they feel that that is the way it is from its own side, not because they gave it value, but from the side of the object. So we're always going through life assessing, I want, I don't want, I like, I don't like, this is good, this is bad. And things, you know, have purposes and values and so on, but only because our mind gave those purposes and values and names and identities. Apart from our minds giving it, from its own side, it doesn't have any value. Also at the Olympics, you could see so many people, you know, with their American flag or their Chinese flag or their Angol Angolian flag or their Ethiopian flag, whatever it is. And so many people are, you know, so proud, my country, you know, and when they play the, 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 um, the anthem of the country, of the, you know, the gold medalist, everybody's, you know, so my country, whatever your country is. But what is a country? Yeah, what is a country? We're so proud of the America has more gold medals than anybody else. Okay. What is America? What is a country? It's just our idea, isn't it? Well, you could say, but the, 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 the country is the land. But the land without a people, without people living on it, don't make it a country. And the borders of that land are something that we made up ourselves. 
Because once the borders of America were a whole lot smaller. Yeah, then we kept, you know, kind of adding more stuff to it. And the borders are flexible. They're things created by human beings. They don't exist in and of themselves. This country is called America only because we gave it that title. And in fact, some people say it's not right that we call ourselves America because there's also the United States... No, the Mexicans don't like that we call ourselves America. They say we should call ourselves United States. But I don't know why they like that because... They, like, well, they, they don't like us calling ourselves America because they're part of the continent, America too. But if we called ourselves the U.S., I don't think they would like that either because they're the United States of Mexico. So if we're the U.S., then we're also taking some part of their term. Okay? But you see, people get really you know, prickly about words and names and titles and stuff, like they have some kind of inherent value in them. And then we, we say, okay, well, the land, yeah, okay, the borders are, you know, they're fluid, they can expand, they can contract, at that, okay, maybe that's up to our mind, you know, but we're the American people. But if you look inside of yourself, whatever nationality you are, because I know there's people in this room from other countries, you know, what inside of you is, makes you that nationality? Yeah, yeah. If you're American, what is it that makes you American? Or if you're German, yeah, or Chinese, or Japanese, or, you know, Belarus, or Canadian, almost American. (laughs) (laughs) Or or what about if you're French Canadian (laughs) with the regular Canadians? If we look, I mean, people can get so really wound up about this. You know, I'm this nationality, and I have to stick up for my country, and you don't understand my country, and my country is the best. And what is it about, uh, what are you going to find that makes you a citizen of that country? Yeah. The only thing I can possibly identify that makes me an American is a sheet of paper with my picture on it, you know, that is a blue cover and it says United States of America. Aside from that, there is nothing in my body that is American. My genes are not American. Yeah, my genes are made of, you know, chemical stuff. My body's made of a lot of food. My mind's not American. How can you have an American mind? Yeah, what about me as American? American simply because somebody had this idea of let's divide the world into different countries, yeah, and give them different names and create pieces of paper that say that you're from that that country. Aside from that, that's all it is, isn't it? That's all it is. You might say, oh, but it's your history, it's your culture, yeah. Well, I'm then I'm not so sure. I don't really agree with all of American history. Yeah? Do I want to be identified with that, with something that I wasn't even alive when it happened? 
and say I'm responsible for that even though I wasn't even alive? Mm-mm. Sorry. So this whole idea of, of countries and you know the jingoism we get into and it's it's something again that is created by our mind. And uh, some of you have heard me tell this story, but it, it really came home so vibrantly to me. Um, one year I was in Israel leading a retreat in the middle of the at a kibbutz on the border uh, with Jordan in the middle of the Negev desert. Yeah. So you look in the Negev Desert, there is a lot of sand. <laughs> yeah, there's some date trees, a little bit of grass, but a lot of sand. And so right in the middle of the sand, there was this fence. Yeah, and you have the fence, and then on one side of the fence, they, they uh, combed the sand because that way, if anybody tr from this side tried to cross over to that side, you would see their footprints in the sand. So they combed us. They could see if anybody was crossing over from here to there. And I stood there near that fence, and I looked at it, and I thought, this is incredible, you know? This sand they call Israel, and this sand they call Jordan. And, you know, some people might even fight a, a war over which side of the fence certain grains of sand go on. It's dumb, isn't it? It's completely dumb. Yeah? Totally dumb. Who cares? Which side of the fence your sand is, the sand is on? And why are people going to kill each other over that? It's ridiculous. Yeah? But again, we made this idea up, you know, and hard and fast borders. And we don't want anybody going from that piece of dirt to this piece of dirt. And in America, I mean, we're building the same wall too in the middle of the desert, aren't we? Between America, you know, our country and Mexico. Yeah, in the middle of the sand, where nobody's going to live anyway, and the people who try and cross over, so many of them die in the middle of the desert, and we're building a fence. Okay? So, do you, my whole point is how we are making things up in our mind, and then we forget that we're the ones who made it up, and we think that it's really like that from its own side. And we really think that the value and meaning we attach to something is there from its own side. That, you know, we forget that we were the one that labeled it. We were the one who created the idea. We were the one that imputed the meaning. Okay. And so, we, because of this short-term memory loss that we suffer from, you know, <laughs> not realizing that things are dependent on being conceived and labeled, then we get into so many conflicts with other people. You know? Conflicts that, that we, you know, are so important and meaningful to us. Yeah. Calling each other you know, names is a, is a very big thing. You know, if somebody calls you a certain name beginning with a certain letter that I better not say because 
I already exposed that I watched the Olympics. <laughs> and that's one no, no, too many today. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, when, when we look, you know, certain words we give meaning to. You know, oh, somebody called me a jerk. Or somebody called me a beep beep, you know. And we get so offended, you know. Just And yet, what is that word? It's just a sound, isn't it? It's just a sound. And we make up lots of sounds with this mouth. And then we give different sounds different meanings. But the meaning is completely imputed by us. It doesn't exist there in the word. But again, we don't realize that. And so when certain people say certain words, we get really upset. Or other people say other words, and we get really proud, <laughs> you know, and delighted. And yet, all they are are words, are sounds that we gave the meaning to. And if you were in another country that didn't speak English, you could say all these things you want to and nobody would even care. <laughs> yeah? Nobody would have no idea what you're, you're talking about. Okay? So in this way, you know, we cause ourselves so much unnecessary grief. Now, so much grief by thinking that things have this meaning and value from their own side and forgetting that we're the ones that imputed the meaning and value. That's not to say that there's no meaning and value. There is. You know, money is useful if you need to go buy shampoo in the grocery store. Yeah, that's okay. But as far as kind of ultimate meaning, yeah, that you're rich, you're successful, you're happy, any of that stuff, no, it doesn't signify any of it. And if you were starving, all those pieces of paper would be of absolutely no value to you because you can't eat them. Okay? So we want to, to have an eye that, you know, that things are dependently arising and things exist within certain uh, contexts that we all kind of agree on and it's like a game that we've all, you know, said that, that we're going to play together. But we don't need to give it kind of hard and fast reality that it doesn't have from its own side. Because when we do, then we get quite upset and we struggle with the very things that we created. Another example of how this works is in our own self-image. Okay. And, uh, you know, we all have images of ourselves that, and some of them are, are so um, ingrained that we're not even aware that we have them. We're just convinced this is who I am or this is, yeah, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And so some of these, these identities are uh, kind of innate, like just the identity of I as being different from somebody else. But then what follows from that is, you know, then I am more, most important. 
right? I'm a real person, therefore I am most important. And so we're going around this planet saying, I am most important. And everybody thinks they're most important. And everybody thinks everybody else is nuts because all those other people don't realize that really they are the ones who are most important. And they so stupidly think that they're the most important. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we all think that our happiness is more important than anybody else's. Our pain hurts more than anybody else's. And we deserve to have everything we want simply because we're us. That's all. Right? And so we, we put that out on the world, you know. I want this. I deserve that. You should give me whatever. And, you know, then we get attached to certain things. We have aversion to other things. We get really angry. We have ideas of who we are and people aren't treating us the way we want them to treat us. We have ideas of what we want and people aren't giving us what we want. Okay. So all these things that we believe are real from their own side are just things that our mind has made up. That yeah. our mind has made up, that's all. And if we have a certain job, you know, in whatever, you know, your occupation is, or even here at the Abbey, we have different people doing different jobs. And it's like, this is my job. My job. Don't you do my job. This is my job. Or, depending on the day, gee, I want you to do my job because I have too much. So one day we're saying, get away, this is my job. And the other day we're saying, why aren't you helping me? (laughs) And whatever we happen to be saying on whichever day, we think is based on solid objective information. Right? This is my job, but it's too much, I'm overwhelmed. You know? I can't do any more, I'm overwhelmed. And then somebody says... Can I help? This is my job. <laughs> I'll do it very well. I don't need your help. You know, because we interpret somebody asking, uh, you know, volunteering as meaning that we can't do it very well. Okay? So we develop all these kinds of identities. No? It's like, I'm, I'm this kind of person. This is my job, so this is who I am. And so often, according to our job, we create a whole identity. I'm this job, so this is where I am on the socioeconomic scale, and, you know, so people should respect me because of what kind of job I have, or, gee, I don't have a very high-status job, then, you know, people aren't going to respect me, I'm not worth very much. All these concepts that come in our mind that we then believe are real, Or I have a lot of money, therefore I should be able to call the shots. Or I don't have a lot of money, therefore, you know, I'm not worthy. Or therefore people should give me some. Or therefore X, Y, Z, whatever it is. But all of this stuff is just stuff made up by our mind. It's not some kind of objective thing. We are not our career. 
for some people that's really hard to think about. And when we have um, retreats here, we conduct our retreats in silence. And I tell somebody, you know, they'll come for like a week or a month-long retreat, and I'll say, don't talk about your career. Nobody needs to know, nobody cares what your career is here. Nobody really cares. You know, you're a human being, that's it. And it's like people are like... (laughs) 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 You know, but, 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 you know, this is, this is who I am. And so then, then, then if they can't say what their career is, then they try and create an identity by according to what they like and what they don't like. You know. I'm a vegetarian. I'm a born-again vegetarian. <laughs> and I'm going to make everybody be a vegetarian, and maybe even a vegan. Or I'm a meat-eater, and all these vegetarians are completely nuts. You know? I want to convert this place into a meat-eating place. <laughs> And everybody gets very attached to all this kind of thing. You know, because if you think about it, when you meet a new person, what is it you talk about? One of the first questions is, what do you do? You create an identity by what you do. We also create an identity by, you know, are you married or single? Are you gay or straight? Are you a man or a woman? Okay. What nationality are you? What color are you? What ethnic group are you? What kind of degree do you have? You know, we have so many ways of dividing people up and then forming opinions about them based on these identities that are simply things that we have imputed and created by conception. Okay. But some people are going to say, oh, no, I don't think so. Like male and female, there's a real difference. Yeah, there's a difference. Don't tell me that's just conception. You know, there's one bathroom you go into and one bathroom you don't. <laughs> and you better know which one it is. <laughs> okay. And, and so people, you know, and this is actually one of the first questions. This is one of the first identities we get is what gender are you? Because it's, it's all about, was it a boy or a girl? You know, they don't say, oh, was it a human or an animal? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, did you have a cat? Did you have a dog? Did you have a baby? Yeah, no, people don't ask that. Yeah, they don't ask what color the baby is. Yeah. They don't ask about what career the baby has, you know, or what ethnicity the baby has. They say, is it a boy or a girl? And that's the first thing you, you do. You hang out pink balloons or blue balloons. And which actually you could switch them and why not? Why does pink have to represent a girl and blue have to, happen to represent a boy? We can switch them. You know, in the Cultural Revolution, because you know, the Chinese like the color red and it's so symbolic for them, in the Cultural Revolution they changed the color of the, the meaning of the stoplights and red meant to go. <laughs> yeah, red meant to go because red symbolizes success and pride in the country, and you know that's why you say the red Chinese, the red. You know, you look at the Chinese flag; it's red with gold stars. You know, they like the color red, so red meant to go in the stoplights. They changed the meaning. 
I think there were a few auto crashes. <laughs> yeah. But all of this is stuff, again, that's coming from our own mind, isn't it? And once they, going back to the gender one, you know, they, they call you a boy, they call you a girl. And then you build a whole identity on that. You know, a whole identity. I'm a girl. Therefore, you know, I've got to look a certain way because my primary thing is I've got to catch a guy. Or if you're gay, you've got to catch a girl. Or, you know, I mean, so, so then everybody builds identities about, you know, whatever their gender happens to be and how they think. I think like a woman and they think like a man. Well, how does a woman think? Yeah, I get really kind of confused about this sometimes, you know. I mean, I, I use it as much as anybody, you know. It's like, oh, those guys. But, um, <laughs> but then what, what I'm finding is, is so interesting is things that they often say that women have, traits women have, actually men have that too, you know. They usually say, oh, women are so emotional. Let me tell you. <laughs> guys are really emotional. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what I'm getting at is we develop these whole concrete identities about somebody must be like this because they're a woman and somebody must be like this because they're a man. And we develop, you know, different prejudices about different things and different expectations for different behavior according to the thing. But when you look and you sit there and you say, what about me as a man or a woman? Is your mind male or female? No. You know, is your liver male or female? Your skin? You know. The only way we differentiate male and female is by the arrangement of some atoms and molecules on our body. That's it. And that's all it is. You know. So giving it all kinds of other meaning is is really you know, again, something that came from our mind. It's not out there in the object. So, my whole point is that when we get really tied up mentally to look at what our conceptions are and ask ourselves, you know, am I thinking about things in a proper way? Or am I imputing meaning and forgetting that I've imputed meaning and grasping at things as having that meaning and that value or that those qualities from their own side that they don't really have. Because if we can see that, then we can loosen up our mind a little bit and not be so rigid about different things. Okay. Similarly, about our, even our self-conception. Yeah? Sometimes we say to ourselves, I'm a failure. Yeah? As soon as we hear that word failure, there comes with it this whole plunk of heavy meaning on top of our head. Okay? And people even build a whole identity about, I am a failure. But what makes somebody a failure? And what part of you is a failure? 
If you look inside your body, is some part of your body a failure? Is some part of your mind a failure? What makes somebody a success and somebody else a failure? Now, everybody has different talents and different things. Yeah. So we might be better at one thing and not quite as good as at another. But why, does, why do we say that that's the meaning of our life, that we're successful or we're a failure? Just because we have some talents and don't have other talents. Now, it doesn't make much sense, does it? Or when we sit there and tell, tell ourselves, I'm unlovable. You know, I'm full of shame. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. I have so much shame. No wonder nobody can love me. Is that true? Yeah. What part of your body is like that? It's not anything physical. What part of your mind is like that? It's not. So aren't we just creating some kind of identity in our head and then believing that it's true when it's not? Yeah. So sitting there, I'm a failure, I can't do this right, I'm so stupid. Or on the contrary, I'm so intelligent, I'm so successful, I'm so this and that. It's all just based on conception, isn't it? and dependent on what we happen to value, and dependent on the situation. And none of it is inherently who we are. Hmm? So I think it's really good to, to look inside and question some of these identities that we've made up for ourselves. Um, because when we grasp onto these identities as being real from their own side, then we suffer a lot. And we limit ourselves by our own self-conception. And we limit other people by imposing upon them what our idea of who they are is and, and making them think that they are what we think they are. Okay? So when we become you know, aware that this is stuff being created by the mind, it really softens the whole thing. Yeah, we don't have to believe in things as, you know, so hard and rigid and all. Okay. We still function in general conven conventional society. I mean, you do know which bathroom to go into, you know, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but we just don't make it into a big thing. Yeah. And you do know that, that if you need engineering done, don't give the work to an accountant, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and if you need a building built, don't don't hire a, you know a dentist. So, you know we do, we have we know these kinds of things, and this functions conventionally. But you know we don't have to make all these things very solid and real, in such a way that that causes so much suffering to ourselves and others. Okay. There's time for a couple of questions, if you have any. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that some of these sort of identi identifying, um, like self-identity sort of misconceptions, do you feel like 
I mean, sometimes they function on a conventional level, but other times it seems like maybe they function to make us feel comfortable, but in fact they're making us feel more uncomfortable with ourselves. Could you give me an, an example? Like when I think about myself being a man, like in a lot of ways I feel like resting in that makes me comfortable sometimes, but then I can see that obviously it doesn't, you know, at other times. Mm. Okay, okay. So the, uh, the whole thing of creating an identity and then that identity giving us some comfort because we know who we are. But then at other times, the identity feeling like a box that we would really like to get out of. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that if we see, okay, you know, how does this work on a conventional level? Yes. But beyond that, I don't have to give it any more meaning or value. Yeah. I don't have to imprison myself with this idea, I'm a man, therefore I should, blah, 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 you know, a job description that's a mile long. Or I'm a woman, therefore, da, 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 and another job description. Yeah, that becomes really quite confining. And just leave it to, you know, what bathroom to go into. Yeah? It can seem like it gets so uncomfortable confronting these kinds of things, you know, like it didn't be so, um, it can just be so jarring, like it's hard to find some comfort, where it's hard to find a strategy to be able to confront these things that it's like, feels helpful even sometimes. Yeah, know? yeah. So, say, so it's hard to find, to find out how to look at these identities and see what they are and to really analyze to what extent do they function on the conventional level and to what extent have I imputed meaning and stuff that isn't really there in them. Yeah. Yeah. I think what Jack's saying is it just it makes life simple because you put everything in boxes and then you don't have to think anymore. Mm. You don't have to use your mind. It's, it's comforting only because it's simple, mm -hmm. even though it may not be correct. Yeah, yeah, it's comforting because it seems simple, but it actually gets very complicated because you put people in different boxes, but then you notice they don't actually fit in that box. Right. And then you do a lot of rationalizing. Yeah, yeah, and then, you know, you'd have to do a lot of rationalizing because you want to keep them in that box, right. or you have to do a lot of explaining because they really belong in another one, and other people think that, think that you can't change boxes. Right. Yeah. So I think like what's really challenging is like for me in my life, I think that I've had some labels that were so uncomfortable that I was able to look at them and see that they only exist on a conventional level. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to find a way to confront the ones that are comfortable. Ah, yes, yes, yes. That's very true. Very true. The labels that are uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, we feel discomfort with, we, we can know what they are. The ones that we're comfortable in, sometimes we don't even notice them. But at a certain point we do, because when other people may comment on that label in a way that we don't agree with. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, how dare you say I'm... Yeah? <laughs> 
don't you know I'm... <laughs> yeah, well, so when we disagree with a label that somebody is putting on us, yeah, then we can often become quite aware of, you know, how we've put ourselves in a box and haven't noticed it. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who was uh, who had uh, joined the Mormon Church back east, and she uh, worked. I think I think she stayed in for about five. Mm-hmm. And she said that um, she had to leave because over that five years, she said she couldn't um, accomplish everything that was required. Of her. There's a lot of service involved. I understand. Mm-hmm. And so she said she finally got to the point of exhaustion, and she says, I just can't keep this up. And it was service to others, you know, in the church. And so she left, and she said she felt really terrible about that. She was glad she did, but she was felt terrible about it. And so my question is, the uh, expectations that were uh, imposed, and I don't mean that in a negative way, imposed, but were... I guess provided by the church, the surroundings that mm-hmm. gave her her job and her identity in the church were too much for her, mm-hmm. and so she had to leave. So, is it possible? I mean, aside from our own minds operating on that, is it possible that that pressure from outside can establish that kind of false identity that we? Oh, that definitely, we definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because it's not only us who creates this identities, but mm-hmm. as groups of people. We create categories and identities, you know. And, you know, if you want to belong to this group, here are the things that you need to do to belong to this group. You know, and that's fine. You have different groups for different purposes and you have different, you know, requirements for different groups. But when you make it too solid, like, oh, you're missing this, you don't belong here, therefore you are a failure, or you're a misfit, or you're a boom. That's when we're clinging way, way too strongly to these things. You know, in her, in her sense, she saw, okay, what was expected of her was more, you know, than she wished to do. I mean, she could have maybe reoriented her whole life to fulfill their expectations, but that wasn't her priority, and she chose not to do it because there were other things that were more important to her. So it doesn't mean that she's a failure. It just means that she decided that other things were more important in her life. Yeah? But then what it gets hard is that Oh, I must be bad because they wanted me to be like this and I value them and I'm not like that. Therefore, you know, I'm bad, inferior, you know, I couldn't meet the grade, I didn't belong. When all it really was was, you know, I chose to put my energy in a different way or to use my talents in a different way. That's all. Mm -hmm. For me, it would seem almost equally as powerful to remember uh, that they're not a Mormon. That, that they're not a Mormon. Yeah, right. That the Mormons right. aren't Mormons. Right. And the, the Catholics aren't Catholics. That they're a being. Yeah, exactly. And so whatever uh, they're attached to isn't who they are. Exactly. Yeah. And the more we can come back to just the more inclusive labels like living being, 
then the more the easier it is for our hearts to open. Yeah. Whereas when we divide into a lot of different labels, and it, it can become very difficult. Mm-hmm. One thing I just uh, wanted to share quickly was from uh, when Dhamma Pusha was here a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. And she said uh, back many years ago when she was pregnant, everyone gave her um, pink baby clothes. And then she had a son. And in Tibet, they don't have the pink and blue. So she just dressed him in all these pink clothes. And people came up to her saying, oh, what a nice girl. And uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about how hilarious that was to me because it was so obvious that pink and blue aren't that way in Tibet. And now my, my uh, nephew's turning one this week. And if my sister threw a party, decorated everything in pink, people would say, are you raising him to be gay or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just really, I thought it was a perfect, like, really funny example of it. Yeah. She, yeah. Had, she had no clue that pink meant girl. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She also said her son is still complaining to her about it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Okay, so let's dedicate. <laughs> Due to this merit, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious body mind not yet born arise and grow. May that born of no decline, but increase forever.